Hello and welcome to another episode of Land Party Lawyers Podcast. My name is Steve Blickensdurfer. I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Nick Brown. Through debate, discussion, and interviews, we tackle issues at the intersection of video games, law, and business. Remember, nothing we say is legal advice. So today, Nick, we're going to be talking, we're going to be revisiting an issue that is very near and dear to my heart. Some people call me uh, a nickname that, that is on the topic that we're going to be talking about today. What, what is that topic? I, I can't say that nickname on the air. <laughs> it's the other one. It's the other one. Oh, 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 <laughs> right. Okay. So today we're going to talk about loot boxes, which, believe it or not, we talked about as the very first episode of our very first season of this podcast. And you know, why did we decide to lead the entire podcast with that episode and that issue? It's because we knew, we could see, we, we could see it coming down the pike. Loot boxes were going to be a big deal, and we wanted to get out ahead of it. And we wanted to put it on people's radar so that they would know that this big stuff was coming. And I don't want to say we told you so. We told you so. But boy, boy, <laughs> did we tell you so. Because... Since that episode, there has just been so much going on, not just in the United States, but around the world with respect to loot boxes and the different and varying approaches to regulation. And I, as a logical individual, I can only conclude that's because of our enlightening, wonderful podcast discussion that really got the, the discussion going and got on people's radars and it produced some change. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, not for nothing. Seriously. It, it was incredible to see the timely discussion on loot boxes right after our episode aired last season, uh, which is yeah. still very relevant. By the way, we're not going to re be rehashing uh, too much. If anything, this is an update on last season's episode because so much content uh, and so much news uh, developed from last season. So uh, with that, why don't you, Nick, give us a recap on what are loot boxes to catch people up? Sure. So for the, I don't know, dozen or so people out there that haven't heard Half our dozen. first episode on this? Half, Half a dozen. dozen. That would, that's probably more accurate. What, what are loot boxes? So loot boxes are essentially, it's a form of in-game microtransaction, and it works a lot like the pull of a slot machine. Players can pay real or in-game currency for the, uh, a chance to obtain randomized in-game items of various worth. So the mechanism, it differs game by game and ecosystem by ecosystem, but usually the player is guaranteed to get something. You just don't know the quantity or quality or rarity of the things that you're getting. It's completely subject to chance. Your loot box that you paid for might end up containing the best item in the game, or it could just hold junk. You don't know until you open it up and after you've paid. And what we kind of touched on in our last episode was that there's different approaches to regulation. Uh, with respect to how different countries and jurisdictions handle loot boxes. And most of that, the different flavors and the different paths are due to the determination by each entity of are loot boxes gambling or are they not gambling? And then they're either regulated as gambling or, or not regulated as gambling, depending on how that jurisdiction tackles those issues. Right. It's a question of, is this problematic? Uh, or is it seen as a problem by a particular jurisdiction, right? So right. video games are an international phenomenon, right? We have to be concerned if you're in the industry of, of how Japan regulates 
uh, th- these forms of microtransactions. And, and in Japan, for example, right, uh, their concern was you had to buy five different things and then combine it into this ultimate gacha, gotcha. which is what they were called, right? Gacha. Uh, so those are uh, illegal, but to, to the concept of loot boxes in general isn't illegal in Japan. But that's not to say it's not illegal in another jurisdiction like Belgium, where you cannot have, uh, you can't sell loot boxes or the loot box mechanic in games because that's illegal. Um, and, and other countries will, will determine that they're a form of gambling, and so they'll say you need to be a regulated you know, so on and so forth. Anyway. Right. So with that as the landscape, we're here today to tell you about some of the crazy things that have happened in this sphere since our last episode, which we we hope you will go back and listen to the six or eight of you who haven't heard it yet. Right. So, Steve, what, what, what's one big thing? Let's start global. Well, first, uh, I, it's important to know the backdrop of this, right? The World Health Organization recently added video game addiction to their list of recognized diseases. And so why is that important when we're talking about loot boxes? That's because if you are on the camp that loot boxes should be regulated, you often are pointing to that classification as a source of why this needs to be regulated. It's just... Yeah, we've seen this cited often over and over again ever since it happened. Right. So that's that's one development. Another development, and this one is probably the biggest of the developments since uh, the episode, is the U.S. has gotten into the game, right? We've had a senator uh, from Missouri, Senator Hawley, has introduced legislation called the Protecting Children from Abusive Games Act. And, and why is this important, just to kind of to, to start at a high level? This is the first United States legislation that has ever been proposed that specifically regulates loot boxes and, and specifically regulates video games that involve loot boxes. And that's really important because, you know, without this legislation, it hasn't passed yet, but, you know, without this legislation, games are only regulated under laws of general applicability and, and like we discussed before, mostly under the, uh, the FTC Act, which says you can't have unfair or deceptive trade practices. Right. So but this, this, this is specifically specific. calls out the use of pay-to-win microtransactions, which are microtransactions you have to pay for a particular gun because it impacts the gameplay and makes you better, right? Uh, and the sale of loot boxes as it's defined in, in the bill. And so just, again, more backdrop on this bill. It had, by, it had when it was introduced, bipartisan support. Um, and it hasn't really progressed anywhere. It's actually seen no action since May of 2019. Uh, but it's, it's notable in terms of what it's done already in the industry and what it attempts to do. Bipartisan support is, is a big deal nowadays. Exactly. So l- let's just really uh, kind of high-level uh, points about this bill that I kind of wanted to, to get into. It, it targets minor-oriented games. So, Nick, really it shouldn't be that much of a concern, right? Because minor-oriented games, those are pretty easy to spot and put into a... Uh, to a box, right? You, you'd think so, Steve, but the way it's written really appears to be an extraordinarily broad definition of the games that are regulated. Nearly anything, so the, the standard that it provides is a game that is uh, targeted at kids, right? But the way it's written, nearly anything can demonstrate that a game's target audience is kids. For example, uh, one of the criteria is animated characters or activities that appeal to kids. Well, every game I've ever played has animated characters, and pretty much all of them appeal to kids. Because that's because so, you play kid games, Nick. Kid games, minor oriented games. Yeah, I. I that's all you play. Apparently, that aren't minor oriented? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anymore. That's the problem. 
<laughs> well, the point here is it's an extremely broad definition. So it probably will affect more games than games that it doesn't affect. And it's also it's incredible, the, the scope of this uh, bill, because it makes every sale, every sale of a transaction involving loot boxes or pay-to-win pay microtransactions in minor-oriented games an unfair trade practice, uh, which is subject to fines by the FTC. So basically what you would have in the absence of this bill would be an argument, you know, whether it be by the FTC or otherwise, that says, you know, when you sell, you know, this particular game involving this, this type of microtransaction, this loot box, it's an unfair trade practice, right? Well, now you have a bill that just flat out says it. And so the FTC, whoever would have to prove that, wouldn't have to prove it because there's a law that now says it's an unfair trade practice, which is effectively what the bill does. The bill also has a provision where it talks about studying loot boxes, which you'd think would be the first step, right? Study it first, regulate it later. <laughs> yeah, ban them now, and then study them. Right, right. So maybe that's in an effort to, if, and if this whole thing got tossed, they can at least study it, right, and keep that portion of the, the act. I, I don't know what the, the purpose was other than that. Uh, it also impacts the use of virtual currency. You, you, so you can't kind of get around it by saying, well, I'm not using money in the traditional sense um, to, to fund these loot boxes. And my, No, that doesn't work either because it extends to uh, in-game proxy for money, uh, such as virtual currency. It's actually straight up written into the law. So right. it's a it's and, a fascinating read. If you have the time to just read through this act, it's incredible. One of the big takeaways that we see in the act is is really interesting because remember, like I said earlier, these have already been regulated under the big umbrella of the FTC's jurisdiction, right? By virtue of the fact that it's interstate commerce. And if and then if someone wanted to prove that there was something wrong with it, they'd have to come in and prove it's an unfair or deceptive trade practice, the loot box. But the way that this bill handles it, it treats any violation of this act, which is not hard to establish, as an unfair deceptive trade practice. And so it is now a lot easier for people to establish in a court of law, or now assuming the, the law would pass. Under this legislation, it's a lot easier to establish that it's an unfair and deceptive trade practice because you don't have to prove that it is. All you have to prove is that it violated this narrow, specific law. And so it really exposes the companies to a lot more liability than exists currently because it's a lot easier to prove a violation. So that's the that's the Loot Box Act, uh, Nick, that, was, that made shockwaves and sent shockwaves through the industry. At the same time, another development occurred in the U.S., and that is the FTC held its uh, Loot Box workshop, uh, for lack of a better word. And we actually noted that that was forthcoming in our last episode. Well, it's happened. And so what happened at that workshop, uh, industry folks, lawyers, um, academics got together and basically put on presentations for the FTC and, and the public uh, to basically discuss the use of loot boxing games, what it looks like, uh, what the current... I, I didn't hear as much on the regulatory like landscape but they they went over what it was, whether it was a problem. Well, it's because they were trying to figure out whether and how to jump regulate, right? Right, right. There was less about what others are doing, uh, which I thought would have been interesting. But regardless, some interesting takeaways from it. You know, we we did hear that some game companies are, have gone have been so aggressive with loot boxes that they've even uh, made it so that when someone is like an influencer is playing a game. 
uh, they would ramp up the probabilities of getting a good product in a game. And when that really wasn't the case, right? It's like a terrible predatory practice that you that that was disclosed at this loot box uh, workshop. Sounds a little deceptive to me. Sounds a little deceptive. That obviously wasn't the norm. It, it was just, but it was uh, disclosed at the workshop, which was interesting. So we don't know what the result of that workshop is just yet. That's kind of a to be continued. What happened though at the workshop? from an industry perspective was also very more important of the, than the workshop happening itself. And that is that the game industry announced major changes, kind of in a coordinated effort, great PR strategy, whoever was behind it. Uh, a bunch of game companies, Microsoft, uh, Ubisoft, Nintendo, Take-Two, I think there were some others, announced- And Sony. And, and so announced that they would publish- so from, from all the big camps. Right, yeah. You have all the huge game companies uh, announcing that they were going to start publishing their microtransaction and loot box, loot box odds. Uh, in, you know, I don't know how exactly they're going to publish it, but when, they're, when you're in-game, you can see that you have X percentage to get a loot box or whatever. Right. They've got till 2020 to figure that out. So they've got this year to right. figure that out. They promised that they would start disclosing- um, in in this year, so that'll be interesting to watch and see where that goes and how they decide to do that. And this was one of the m methods that we recommended in our last episode. That if you were a game company, what are the one of the ways you could avoid regulation or avoid trouble here is you could disclose your, the odds of the loot boxes in in your game. How you do it is entirely up to you, but disclosure is just the point, right? And that's something that the publishers announced that they're going to do. Looking forward to seeing that in action. But that's not all that happened, Nick. Another trend that we saw immediately, uh, right around the time of this uh, loop, uh, the FTC workshop and, and after, is the industry and some games are actually moving away from loot boxes entirely, right? You have uh, in Rocket League, for instance, they actually right. took away the whole classic, you have to, you know, the loot box, you have to buy the, the keys to unlock the loot boxes to crates. That you um, that you could see what's inside, and you had to buy the crate. Uh, so it's uh, that actually caused a big um, uproar in the in the Rocket League community because then you could buy the individual items, and it was super expensive. And so people were like, "I'd rather have the loot boxes than than have this store system where I could just buy the individual items." So it, what a time to be alive! Oh, it's incredible. There's also other people complaining that they have to use loot boxes in games because. It's, you know, supposedly so predatory. Who do you listen to, Nick? Uh, depends on, I guess, how good items I get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the chances. Yeah, right? no, and, and that's not the only game. PUBG also moved away from loot boxes. And uh, CSGO, another example, in France, they moved to an, an X-ray scanner model that allowed the player to preview, preview the content. It's almost like you're you know, putting it in an actual X-ray to see what's inside. Okay, that... That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it is pretty neat. And may, maybe they're going to incorporate into to more games. It kind of kind of depends, right? Um, it, it, it almost, although it is kind of weird because it's almost like you're putting in the quarter in the slot machine. Uh, and if you, But if you don't like what the slot machine is going to pay out, uh, you have to throw out the whole thing uh, so you can move on to the next, next crate, right? Uh, which makes this x-ray system i don't know if i like it too so much. it's still kind of like gambling it's almost like ga right <laughs> you, you can pay for it if you like it but if you don't like it then you just you lose the whole thing um anyway so that's not the only trend nick why don't you talk about a little bit other trends and we're seeing in the industry well you know there's there's a whole lot of 
interest brewing over across the pond in the United Kingdom, which is another huge like video game market. Um, the the United the the United Kingdom, you know, previously as we discussed on the 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 first loot box episode, the gambling regulators there said loot boxes weren't gambling and they, they really decided not to do much about it. Right, because remember, remember, we went through the whole thing of one of the ways you can regulate it is with your existing gambling laws, right? And right. that's what, on this, of the ones that were looking at that, the UK fell on the side of, well, it's not gambling. Right. But obviously, they're all avid listeners of the Land Party Lawyers podcast. And after they heard our debate last season, they took another look at it. And in September of 2019, the UK House of Commons Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee published a sprawling report on what they called immensive and addictive technologies. I'm sorry, immersive and addictive technologies. It was an immense report. It was an immense report. I, I was close. <laughs> um, and basically, you know, wh why do you care? Uh, one big part of it focused on loot boxes. And it, it basically came out and said, yes, we recognize that there's no evidence that loot boxes harm children. But you know what? We think it does that they do harm children, and so we recommend not permitting loot boxes in games until evidence comes out that proves that it doesn't harm kids. So it's basically uh, going to kick them out, no loot boxes, unless someone comes in and proves that they're safe. That's if game companies accept the report or that legislatures and the, or lawmakers... Right, now, th this was a recommendation. That's correct. But, you know, it's interesting, around the same time, they had uh, that big meeting that made a lot of splash on the internet. That actually predated the, the report. That's actually, their, their findings from the meeting is what led into right. the report, right? So, and, and I was going to say, you just almost skipped the best part. That's when, that's the hearing where uh, representatives from big game companies like EA and Epic uh, were present and talked about the use of loot boxes, and we heard that they were like Kinder Eggs, which... That's a no-no because Kinder Eggs are actually illegal in the UK, so you don't want to say that. Uh, but Whoops. it was just a, an interesting hearing. And so just the fact you that we're You may have also heard headlines about how they're just surprise mechanics. Right. Uh, that, that really spread like wildfire on the internet. Uh, a lot of sound bites, useful sound bites that came out of that hearing, to say the yes, least. Yes, th that all came out of the same event. Right. Uh, and, and it resulted in this, this recommendation saying that they be cut and banned until that they're you know proven to be safe and it's not the only thing that's happened in the uk the the children's commissioner for england also is calling for the reclassification of loot box mechanics as a form of gambling uh and the introduction of spending caps warning labels and age verification among other things uh but interestingly enough they're not none of ni neither one of those camps are calling for the outright ban of loot boxes uh, as a general matter so there's still hope. And if anything, what we do see, Nick, is that loot boxes are still prevalent and very much in use in the industry. Even with all the trends that we noted, 71% of the top games on Steam, according to some reports, use loot boxes in their games wow. as a form of monetization. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and even so, just after, even despite all of this uh, discussion and, and uh, pressure from regulators, 2K, uh, they released NBA 2K20, and that literally included uh, classic use of loot boxes to the to the extent that it looked like a slot it actually looked like a slot machine when you you were using and engaging with it 
Uh, and if anything, it, it led hey, to. Hey, if you don't want them to be deceptive, right. you know, just straight up, come they, out right? Yeah, just, just come out listen. and say it. <laughs> put it out. Put it out there. No, and it, it, that led actually to to two K two K twenty being review bombed uh, until it was the second worst rated game on Steam. So you can uh, see where those reviewers' loyalties lie. I don't. I it probably would have been um, what, Battlefront. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's a great question. Steam. What's the worst rated game on Steam? Gonna have to look it up after this. I bet it changes every week. Yeah, and there was also mention of, and this was an interesting little bit of news. Uh, EA had a microtransaction patent that uh, people found out about and ended up writing an article. Uh, I forget where the source was, but uh, it was basically a clock system that could make in-game purchases like loot boxes less valuable for players who aren't the first to buy them. Oh, geez. And rewards players who buy them right away while pressuring everyone else to pay up as quickly as possible. So definitely seizing on the FOMO effect uh, for use of loot boxes. Uh, But it ended up turning out to be all to do about nothing, right? Uh, There was a (laughs) disclaimer that came out. A lot lot ado about nothing. Uh, The article ended up... uh, coming out with a disclaimer that said EA wasn't intending on doing this, uh, but it's still a scary thought that that's something that game companies are considering. Um, probably less so these days with the whole push to, to regulate. Um, you know, and then another uh, interesting bit of news, uh, top mobile game Mario Kart Tour is actually not being- Hold on, hold on, hold on. What Kart Tour? Mario, Mario Kart oh, Tour. Oh, okay, I've heard of that one. What did I say, Mar- Mario? Mario. Oh, Mario, Mar- Mario, Mario, tomato, tomato. Mario twins. I, I would like to know who, how many people say Mario. There's probably more than you think. Mm, we'll see. We'll have to do a whole episode on that. But until then, <laughs> it's actually not being offered in Belgium uh, because of its use of loot boxes. So it's still a very much impacting the industry. So what are some of the things that game companies can do? We've talked about a lot of these already in our past episodes. So Nick, why don't you just breeze over them so we can get to the good stuff? Well, you know, one of the interesting things that we've seen is that um, instead of just trying to, you know, retool the loot box mechanic to make it, you know, comply with the different jurisdictions, we've seen a movement over to battle passes or other types of, uh, you know, game funding techniques. So So, considering other types of game monetization techniques like battle passes. Exactly. Other methods that get people paying money and happily doing so that aren't likely to run afoul of any of these regulations. We have another episode of this season where we talk about games as a service, and and we encourage you to check that out because that'll go a little more in depth on this issue. But um, one thing that game companies can do is is offer like a battle pass or a season pass where they offer certain amounts of progression, certain additional tasks to complete, certain additional skins or items uh, based on uh, paying uh, what amounts to almost a subscription fee, right? Because seasons only last for so long and you can pay to stay in or not based on whether or not you want to take part in that timed content. Um, and, you know, we've seen this really successful with a lot of games, most famously Fortnite, where it's got its its battle pass that uh, pretty much, you know, everybody who plays the game gets. And that has driven a lot of their financial success, even without having to sell loot boxes. Yeah. So one option would be to figure out other opportunities or other ways to make, make money and fund games that don't 
brush up against these regulatory issues and the uncertainty that we're seeing from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Well, that that coupled with some of these other recommendations, it makes it more palatable, right? So when we say disclose the odds of loot boxes, if you couple that with a battle pass, uh, maybe it's, it's more exciting because then the user can see what they could get if they get to this part of the season, right? Um, there's also the trans making your loot boxes transparent. That's a function that was in Fortnite before, uh, before they got to the season pass functionality. Uh, so you could do it independent of any of this, but basically like the x-ray scanner, that's the x-ray scanner thing that we're seeing in CSGO. Uh, so it's, it's already being used and it's exciting to see what else game companies are going to come up with to make a transparent loot box. And there's also uh, use warning labels. Uh, that's required in some countries and it might be required here at some point, but um, it's, it's an industry thing where they're saying that a game has in-game transactions, right? That's already a thing. Uh, so continuing with that trend, I don't think they call out loot boxes per se, but maybe that would mm -hmm. be something that the industry would go to. Uh, but what are some of the other things that we uh, have thought about since uh, that last episode? Maybe avoid putting loot boxes in games involving kids, you know, that are clearly involving kids. That could be something um, that would maybe take some of the pressure off of the use of loot boxes because it's really about protecting kids. That's the genesis to uh, Senator Hawley's bill. So if you take those out of those ones that are obviously kid-oriented, putting aside the definition of that statute, that would be a big thing you could do. Right. I, I know we talked about how broad the definition is, that there's an argument it could apply to nearly every game. But we all know there's kind of a spectrum of, of games, and some of them some of them may be slam dunks that they're designed for kids, and some other games are going to be harder to argue that they're designed or aimed at kids. You know, it would be safe to at least keep the loot boxes out of the ones that most people are going to agree are designed for kids, and then you only have to argue about the ones, the, the edge cases. Right. You also could uh, up the parental controls. I think this is a great opportunity for game companies to increase and tinker with what parental controls look like. Maybe that involves caps on spending. Uh, for kids, uh, when, when you set up the account you, and you know it's a kid, then, then there's a certain cap and they can't. That will then, right there, do away with all those articles and headlines you hear about how somebody's account credit card was charged thousands of dollars because someone bought FIFA packs, right? So that's uh, something that seems so simple in context, probably hard to implement, but it's a challenge yeah, the implementation that... implementation side of that is tough, but at least you can um, give the consumers, all of the tools that they could need to protect themselves. Right. Another tool, show the purchase history, right? Maybe make that more and easily accessible to parents in a, in a way that they will then be able to monitor their kids' use of in-game transactions and access to it, right? So those are just a few different, we, we na named a bunch of them right there uh, that game companies can do to help to take the pressure off of some of this use of loot boxes. Uh, and above all, know the regulations, be informed. I think that's a first step that we maybe inadvertently skipped. But that's what this whole episode's about. That's what the last episode was about, all about education and knowing those regulations. And, you know, as this demonstrates, they change over time and they change over jurisdiction. And so it's not just enough to go figure them out one day because they might be different next month. If this legislation actually passes, then the landscape is going to be completely different. So it's important to keep in mind uh, that these things change over time and what may be the regulations you're operating under when you launch your game development might be totally different by the time your game is done. Or by the time you buy a game, uh, you know, 
it might have might be very different from when they made the game if if you bought the game long after its release and so it may be operating under a kind of a different rubric it's really important to keep in mind how these things change over time uh one great way to do that i think would be to listen to our season three episode on loot boxes i was eventually. just gonna say i i, I bet <laughs> we're gonna have a season three episode on this but Time, time will tell, Nick. Only time will tell. Uh, so be on the lookout for other episodes of our season two. Before we even get to season three, we still got to finish season two. Uh, you can connect with us on Instagram or on our webpage, landpartylawyers.com. And Nick, do you have anything else to add? I just wanted to say, uh, you know, we're really, really proud to be probably what is the, the most, the, the biggest reason that loot boxes are in the news these days. Uh, and we're going to keep watching it uh, so that hopefully we can, you know, stay on top of it the whole time. Wise words, Nick. Wise words. Thank you so much for listening. Be on the lookout for other episodes uh, and game on. Game on. And we're back with a special segment we like to call The Extra Life, where we update you on events that occurred after we originally recorded the episode. Now, this episode was already itself an update on the loot box situation, but after we recorded it, the updates kept coming, so we have a couple to share with you to keep you posted. First, a parliamentary committee in Australia recently issued a report that it dramatically titled Protecting the Age of Innocence. In that report, the committee officially recommended introducing significant loot box regulations in Australia. The report kind of lumps loot boxes in with online gambling and pornography, which tells you how the committee came down on the gambling debate that we've been describing. Uh, and it suggests regulations that include mandatory age checks for purchasing loot boxes and adding warnings to games that include any form of microtransaction. So although this is no small regulation, it is somewhat less extreme than some of the others that we've seen proposed or imposed by other countries. And there's another update, and that's in the self-regulation category. Bungie, the makers of Destiny 2, uh, one of the most popular online shooters today, has announced that it is removing loot boxes from their game. Beginning with Season 10, loot boxes, which have been a part of the game for a while now, will supposedly no longer be included. Recall earlier in this episode we mentioned how some, some game companies include loot boxes together or apart with their battle passes, uh, but not no longer for Bungie. Well, that's the extra life that we have for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, be on the lookout for other episodes in Season 2, and game on. Game on. You've been listening to the Land Party Lawyers podcast series with Steve Blickensturfer and Nick Brown. To learn more about our e-gaming and esports practice, visit carltonfields.com. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening.